Welcome home. You're listening to the 180 Church Podcast with Dr. Sammy and friends. Dr. Sammy and friends are resting this week and will return next week. However, we have a leader from our local church community giving today's message. Today's sermon is given by Pastor Billy Kim, Director of Communications at 180 Church and Chaplain at NYU. Uh, so uh, today we're going to be pausing on our series on vision and I actually want to talk about the topic of Lent today uh, that Minyoung actually or Natalie is now Natalie right you're officially Natalie right uh, she's, a, she's a, a US citizen uh, so her name is Natalie O uh, no, no Natalie yeah Natalie O sorry about that <laughs> way to start but um, I just wanted to start up on the topic of Lent today um, because it's a tradition that uh, the church around the world has been um, observing since the second century. Now, for many of us here at our church, this is also a tradition that we've been observing for many years. But I know there are some of you, some of you here have just come to our church recently in the past year, and some of you guys are actually visitors here for the first time. And so I think it's important that we talk about this uh, tradition of Lent uh, what it means, and um, how it could actually help us grow in our faith or discover God in the process. So whether you're a believer here or someone that's actually seeking, uh, someone that has already observed Lent uh, for many of, it, uh, many of their years, or maybe just observing for the first time, today I want to answer the question, what, is, what does Lent look like? What does it mean? And how does that actually help and grow in our faith? Right? And to begin, Lent actually is associated with fasting. And in our culture today, uh, fasting is a discipline and a practice that's actually quite popular and quite trending. Right? I mean, I know even people in our church that talk about fasting all the time. And one of the most popular fastings that, uh, fasts that people do is what? The intermittent fast. How many of you guys heard about the intermittent fast before? Right? Raise your hands. How many of you guys are on the intermittent fast? Or no people, oh, Rose, like kind of, getting ready for the wedding, right? Or kind of, uh, or know someone that's um, in the intermittent fast. You know, personally for me, I was on that intermittent fast actually uh, a year ago. And for those who don't know what it's about, it's actually where you uh, fast for 16 hours, and then just for eight hours, you get to eat whatever you want, technically, right? And to tell you the truth, as um, I, I, I went through the intermittent fast, um, I got to say that there's a lot of benefits to it. Um, and one thing that I learned over in the intermittent fast is that I eat more carbs than I should have. Um, I blame my mom for this. You know, growing up, my mom, I mean, her love language is gifts of service. And so she, uh, and I would actually visit her every week so she could cook me Korean food. And every time I go, she gives me a salad bowl of rice. You know, I learned in the intermittent fast, that's the wrong portion. You know, I learned that you're actually supposed to have a fistful. That's the size of, of your carb intake. But I grew up, you know, at, at my parents' home where my mom would give me actually a salad bowl of rice. You guys know what I'm talking about? When um, you eat lunch and you feel exhausted and you just want to take a nap. Like, I realized that's because I've been eating too many carbs. I've been eating too much rice. And so when I reduced the carb intake and actually went into this intermittent fast, um, I discovered that I actually got more energy, I was actually more awake, um, and I was actually more engaging. Now, 
I could tell you that the reason why I did this intermittent fast um, and so that I could have all this energy was to meet up with you guys, you know, as a pastor, you know, to pray for you guys more. And as a pastor, to actually be engaged and awake in small group when those things happen. But that would be a lie. You know, the reason why I did that intermittent fast well, it had nothing to do with me being holy. And it had nothing to do with you guys being holy or trying to make you holy. You know, the reason why I did it is because I wanted to, it was purely vanity. I wanted to look sexy. I wanted to lose my pot belly. And the reason why I share this is because I wanted to show a clear picture of the difference between the culture's view of fasting and fasting in Lent. Because the culture view of fasting is pretty much a diet. You know, it's about self-improvement. It's about self-glory. It's about looking great. It's about you helping yourself to be the best you. But fasting in Lent is totally different from the fasting of, of, of the culture. It's not a diet. In fact, if you look at the biblical definition of fasting, it's often, and actually it's always, associated with praying. So whenever you read the word fasting in the 77 times in the Bible when you, when you read it, um, and all the people that are called to fast, whether it's Esther or the city of Nineveh and Jonah or even Jesus himself in this passage, what they were doing is praying. They were, pr uh, they were giving up something and praying. And so what is prayer exactly, right? Like, what do you do in prayer? Like, and, you know, all of us have prayed in one way or another, whether we believe, or believe God or not at one, moment, at one point or another, right? When you're struggling in a test, even though you might not believe, you go, oh, God, help me, right? Or when you're having a hard time, you, you try to be like, if there's someone out there, please be there. And the core and the heart of prayer and what it actually is, it's about actual communication and engagement with God. Like, for example, there's a story about uh, Dr. Sammy's mentor, Leighton Ford, and he shared, and I think we shared this before uh, a couple of times in our service, where uh, he would actually have uh, an alarm timer in it on his phone every 15 minutes. Um, and he would use the phone, and there would be an alarm every 15 minutes to remind himself to pray. And mind you, this guy is like, uh, the brother-in-law of the late Billy Graham, great, incredible spiritual leader um, and such a great influence globally. And what he would do is actually he needed a timer to remind himself to have these short interrupted prayers. And when Doc asked him and a couple of people asked him why he does that, he goes, um, it's to remind myself and, to re and to, for me to remember that God, to pray to God and to engage with him what is, what's actually at the moment at that time. And I think that's actually a great picture because the truth is, for a lot of us, we get distracted easily, right? How many people get distracted, right? Uh, you're, on your, you're, you're trying to do work, your exams, you're studying, Facebook, oh my gosh, okay. Instagram, you know, you're, you're lost in it for another 20, 30 minutes, and then you try to go, go back to studying or doing your work, and you know, you waste another like 15, 20 minutes of your time. Uh, we are uh, a culture that has so much stimulus. We get distracted so many, uh, so easily. There are things that are competing for our attention so many times. And so what fasting in Lent does is it, it's an opportunity where we acknowledge those distractions, make space about what that is, and declutter what that's going on to actually hear or maybe hear what God might be saying to us and working, to, working in our lives.
So, so fasting in Lent is not so much about self-improvement or self-will, but it's a growing acknowledgement of why we need God every day of our lives. In a way, it's a Christian Marie Kondo kind of thing where you're decluttering everything in your life to make space for what God might be saying. And so that is the overall theme and the topic about what Lent is. And as Min Young said before, um, it is a 40-day period starting from this Wednesday, and that's where we're talking about it, called Ash Wednesday, uh, where, we dis- where we give up something to actually, and, and observe 40 days through the life of Jesus. And every day, perhaps, exert, observing and experiencing what God might be doing in our lives. And so I'm going to go more about that, go into that, um, when we, as we go into this passage in Matthew 4. Okay, ready? All right, so Matthew 4, verse 1 says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Now, the question is, who led Jesus into the wilderness? Right? Was it the devil? Was it himself? No. Who led Jesus into the wilderness was the Spirit of God, right? And the Spirit of God led him into the wilderness. And the question is, what is the wilderness, right? You know, what does the wilderness look like? You know, the wilderness is actually in an environment. It's an external environment where there's not that many things that actually grow. It's actually very scarce. It's It's very barren. There's not much life going on. You know those moments in your life, whether it's uh, your romance or your career or your, even your spiritual life or even just even your family that you just try to put so much effort and energy and um, all this is this time into, but it doesn't seem like anything is growing, right? You haven't been in those situations before where you experienced those things. Like no matter what you do and how much you put in, nothing seems like to be moving. You know, nothing seems to be growing. Nothing seems to be advancing. You know, that's the wilderness. And here in this passage, the Spirit of God leads Jesus into this external environment. And you have to ask why, right? Why would the Spirit of God, why would God put Jesus into a position in that place, right? Where, where everything is barren, everything is um, scarce, that there's nothing that he can do to make anything better. And the answer is actually quite simple. It's that Jesus, uh, not Jesus, the Spirit of God led Jesus into that place because he wanted to show what was implicit, explicit. He wanted to show and expose the areas in his life where Jesus' life, specifically in his identity, where he was wrestling with his, with his doubts, his uncertainties, questions about who he is, and bringing out the most vulnerable places in his life to work in those areas of his life. And I know for some of us, When you hear that, you're like, Jesus being vulnerable? Like, isn't he God? Yes, he's God, but he's also fully human. And I think that's one one thing that we have to catch and actually understand about this story is that although Jesus was fully God, he was also fully human. And in his humanity and in the deepest part of him, there there was something about uh, about his identity that he was struggling with, wrestling it, um, and doubting. Like, for example, for me, I experienced a wilderness year last year living in New Jersey. And I could say that now because I'm moving back into the city. And 
just a disclaimer, I am not like, you know, like uh, hating on New Jersey people. Because uh, I know I, I said that to uh, Sean, and Sean gave me a look. Like, I love New Jersey. You know what I mean? I'm not, I'm not, I'm not making fun of the armpit of America. You know what I mean? All right? Like, there are actually, in my time in New Jersey for the past year, there are certain things that I actually do appreciate and I do like. But personally for me, uh, in context, uh, New Jersey was and has been my wilderness experience because it was a place that I did not want to be this past year. Uh, just to give you some context, I used to live in the city um, down in Chinatown, and because of you know, various reasons, and litigations and lawsuits, which is another story, um, I find myself abruptly going, live, um, actually homeless. You know, <laughs> pretty much homeless for a bit. I, I didn't know where to go, and I didn't know what to do. Um, it, the transition was very uh, overwhelming and uh, disorienting. And I must have, uh, I got to say, I'm very grateful for someone like Sean and Harris uh, to actually house me into their apartment for the past year. But I would tell you the truth that in the beginning of going, moving from the city into New Jersey in the house, in the apartment with Harris and Sean was one of the most uncomfortable feelings in the world. Not because they're terrible people. They're actually great people. But it was actually because personally for me, I, it's been a while for people to actually take care of me. You know, because for me, I'm like, I'm the pastor. You know, I'm the one that's supposed to take care of people. You know, I'm usually the one housing people and letting people sleep over my apartment. And all of a sudden, because I am homeless, I found myself being taken care of by someone like Sean. <laughs> How ironic is that? Actually, he's actually very caring. He's actually very caring. He's actually very thoughtful more than people realize. <laughs> but, man, to be taken care of someone like Sean as a pastor, being taken care of by, by Sean and Harris, I, I, I didn't know what to do. It felt weird. It felt very uncomfortable. You know, and, and, and you know, uh, what was, I was learning in this process, and I'm still learning, is that I had to learn to be vulnerable. I had to learn to accept what was in front of me. And I had to accept that there were people in my community and around me that wanted to love me and take care of me. You know, for me, I had such a big, my defense mechanism, and I, all of us have def defense mechanism, but my defense mechanism was functionality. So in that process, like, it's all right, I, I have everything in control. I'm okay. Even though I'm homeless, I'll figure it out. I didn't figure it out. <laughs> And in that journey and in that process, man, it was actually Sean and Harris that the one that was actually uh, watching over me, looking, over, looking out for me, and making sure that I was okay. You know, the truth is, um, we actually push away the people that are actually closest to us because we're scared of people getting close to who we are and our vulnerabilities and our humanity, right? Because it's scary to open up yourself to just be, right? You don't know what's going to happen if you just show the, the, of all of who you are, the best and the worst, the mess and, and all the, the idiosyncrasies that are going on. 
we rather hide and protect. And we've grown to know that, and we've developed that over the years of what that actually looks like, of, and, and our manifestations of what that looks like to keep people at bay, to keep people at an arm's distance. But here in this passage, and what Lent is really all about, is learning and the permission that you are vulnerable, and it's okay to be vulnerable, and it's okay to be. And just to let you know, I've been learning that lesson even more with these college students. Because just two weeks ago, I was really raw with them when I went to uh, the Boca Fried Chicken restaurant. <laughs> Some of you guys know this story because I shared it. You could, uh, you could read the story on my Yelp review. But of course, it comes with food and customer service. And I'm not, OK, and just a disclaimer, I'm not here to be petty and make fun of them or to bash them. I'm, and I know, because I know someone's like, Peace, I bet you're doing this because you want to do a ban on Boca. I was like, no, I'm not. You are free to eat at St. Mark's Boca Fried Chicken. I am not going to control you. I'm not going to stop you. But I will tell you the story about what happened where, I, where the waiter did not want to sit me and 18 other the college students in their restaurant. And so I ended up blowing up, literally yelling at him in the middle of the restaurant. And it was so bad that Sean was there, and he had to like, try to mitigate the situation. And he was like, to the waiter, he was like, he was like hey, man, it's all right. Not to me, to the waiter. You know, <laughs> he's like, hey, man, to the waiter, it's all right. It's OK. You know, this is cool. And then I was so mad because of the bad customer service, they, would, they forced us to pay $20 per person going in. And I, and, and I got upset. When Sean said that, I yell, started yelling at Sean. I was like, no, it's not OK. And so I started pointing fingers. I was like, it's not OK. Sean, it's not OK. The waiter, I was like, you are wrong. You are disrespectful. You know, how dare you? Like, in, in my mind, I was like, do you know who I am? I'm a pastor. I will get my congregation to stop going to your restaurant. He's like, I know the, I know the part, uh, manager partner in spot. Oh, man, and you know, I'm going to go nuts. I, in my mind, that's what I was going to do. In my, and, and, and that's what I was doing. And mind you, in all of this that was going on, blowing up, I was doing this in front of 18 of the college students. It was our first day as a fellowship meeting. So there was a bunch of new people. Some of them are here. They didn't run away, thank God. right? And so they're looking at me. They're like, who the heck is this guy? Because, <laughs> because just before he gave a talk about character, integrity, you know what, like obey, uh, uh, like being a steward of your influence, and then now they see me blowing up, right? And what do I do? And I'm embarrassed. I'm like, oh my gosh, what do I do? I, I text Doc like, this is what I did. I need to confess. Thank God, Doc was like, it's okay. You <laughs> direct. I was like, oh. <laughs> but you know, th th that's what I was doing in front of them. But you know what was the most beautiful thing about what the situation that, went, that happened? In everything that was going on and in my rawness, a lot of them, well, first we're like, is, is he OK? Am I in the right club? <laughs> but the other people in the community that knew me was, you know, he was like, you know, they were just laughing at me. <laughs> you know, and I thought that was sweet. They didn't shame me. They made fun of me. And so this is what they did. Hi, Young. They made a meme about me. You know? 
all of fellowship, me, me, and then my Yelp review. Thank you guys for supporting me. And then there's the, and then there's another college student. She wasn't even there, but she heard it. And she wrote an amazing article, a beautiful article. And I was like, good job, keep going. She goes, thank you, peeps. Okay, are you going to give me a five-star Yelp review? I was like, wow, these students are keeping me humble. But I was, and to be honest, I am so grateful because in my humanity and in the worst of who I am and just uh, my, even my vulnerability, I am accepted for who, for, for, and I could just be. You know, I think one of the most encouraging things is that in the middle of that, I forgot who, it was Sean or Jonathan, uh, they were saying, you know, that's why he's my pastor. He needs Jesus as much as I need Jesus. And I share this story because I think that's what the heart of Lent is about. The heart of Lent is the permission to be vulnerable. Because in our culture today, the reality is it's really hard. Our culture drives us to hide. Our culture hides us to avoid. Our culture make, uh, tries to edit everything around us where it, it keeps us at bay from the most vulnerable parts of us. Because if we do, will be hated on or be hurt or, or be called out in. You know, like, there's actually, it, this is a little crazy, but I just read an article about there's now actually ghosting in the workplace, which is insane. There's not just ghosting at, uh, in relationships anymore. You know, there's ghosting in the workplace now, where people now, millennials and Gen Zs, they're avoiding talking to their employers, right, about when they get a new job or, or getting a different offer. They just don't say anything anymore. You know, and I read that and I was like, this is crazy because then our entire culture has become, is moving towards avoidance. It's moving away from conflict. It's moving away from something that's uncomfortable and that's uh, away from our preference. And, and I believe that's what Lent is trying to confront and challenge as we fast. Going to the places where we are uncomfortable, uncomfortable going to the places where we are most afraid and learning that through Christ, and, or perhaps the representation of the community, understanding and knowing that you, are, you, you have a space to be. And you are loved for who you are. Because in the heart of hearts, that's what we all long for. That's what we all long desire. And that's what we all need to hear. So what is the first point? How does Lent, in, how does Lent um, help us in our faith and develop in our faith? One is fasting. Embracing we are vulnerable. So the practicality of this is, is this. For the, starting on Wednesday, think of something too fast. Whether it could be something like Netflix or social media or whatever it is. Something that will make you uncomfortable uh, you know, the, this season. And I actually pray that the Holy Spirit will actually show you something, uh, something too fast. And to make space for what God might be saying to you or might be revealing in your life. And so I pray that the Holy Spirit would actually show you that. So that's the first point. Um, it says this, verse 2, it says, After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So when, after Jesus fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, who was he tempted by? The devil. Meaning, there's an adversary. Tell someone next to you, there's an adversary. There is an enemy. 
The reality is, in your life and my life, there is a real adversary. There is a real enemy that seeks to kill, steal, and destroy. There is uh, an adversary, and it has a face. And what he wants to do in your life is to take away and remove and stop you from being the best of who you can be in Christ's image. Uh, a good example of that is Billie Eilish, right? Do you guys know who Billie Eilish is? If you don't, you got to come up with the times, man. But Billie Eilish, you know, she, she swept the Grammys. And I, she had a BBC interview, and she said that she, after the Grammys, and she swept the awards and won um, Album of the Year over Ariana Grande, right? She had to uh, escape and, like, uh, close out her social media account because there were so many haters. You know, those Ariana Grande fans, man, they're serious. Because they were really harsh on her and they were hating on her. They were worse than some Asian netizens, right? If you know, you know what I'm talking about, right? But she, she was saying that um, after, even in, in the Grammys when she, she won the award, she was reading the comments and she said it was affecting her so negatively. And it, the words were so biting and so hurting that she had to shut it off. And when I read that, I found that to be insane because Billie Eilish, who, is, uh, who just uh, won so many awards, been recognized by her peers, right, even in her, in, in her field, right, is affected, and in the height of her career is affected by words of people that were so obscure to her, right? And it just shows, right, uh, what you, that words are powerful, no matter who they come from. And what matters is what kind of words that you actually take in and receive in your life, because it shows how, it, how you're shaped. You know, there is a saying, you know, you are what you eat, right? You eat a lot of cake, you know, you're going to gain weight, right? And it's the same thing, and, it, and it's the same thing in the spiritual lens or even our emotive um, and mental lens. The words that we receive and the words that we, uh, that we take in will shape of who we become. You know, in this passage, Jesus struggled with two different uh, struggling voices. There was the one that was the enemy that said, if you are the Son of God, that was questioning him, questioning his identity, questioning his worth, and questioning who he is in Christ Jesus, I mean, in God the Father, and, uh, and what he's meant to be. And then there was, a, there was another voice where the enemy that was trying to steal that. But what we, uh, and then there was another voice, which is God's voice, that was telling him right before this temptation, when he comes out of the baptism, where God himself was speaking to him and said, this is my son whom I love, with him I'm well pleased. And when you look at this passage, how he was able to overcome the criticisms of around, what's around him, or the criticism of the adversary that was running, rummaging through his mind. And he was fasting for 40 days and nights, and um, wrestling through his identity, the one thing that helped him overcome, endure, and ha actually held steadfast to what was going on was the words that was given to God himself. So it wasn't an absence of nothingness that he was dealing with, but he was actually feasting on God himself. He was feasting on the words, and that was nourishing him and strengthening him um, and shaping and forming and uh, solidifying who he is in Christ to be the best of who he is, he is and actually become the savior of the world. For example, there's a similar story about this, um, and it comes from um, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Um, and this is what he wrote when he uh, experienced when he was 26. Um, and uh, he just got, to jail, uh, got out of jail for the first time, you know, uh, fighting for the civil rights movement. And he said this, and what, uh, uh, right when he got out. 
And I sat there at the table thinking about that little girl, his baby daughter, and thinking about the fact that she should be taken away from me any minute. And I started thinking about a dedicated, devoted, and loyal wife who was over there asleep. And I got to the point that I couldn't take it anymore. I was weak. And I discovered then that religion had to become real to me. And I had to know God for myself. And I bowed down over that cup of coffee. And I will never forget it. I prayed a prayer, and I prayed out loud that night. And I said, Lord, I'm here trying to do what's right. I think I'm right. I think the cause that we represent is right. But Lord, I must confess that I'm weak now. I'm faltering. I'm losing courage. And it seems to me at that moment, I could hear an inner voice saying to me, Martin Luther, stand up for righteousness. Stand up for justice. Stand up for truth. And lo, I will be with you even until the end of the world. And I heard the voice of Jesus saying still to fight on. Now I share this story with you because uh, we know from Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. who fought you know, for the rights of black voters, of the civil rights movement, that we're in a way continuing to fight today. But even Dr. Martin Luther King, what strengthened in him to become the figure that he is, to do the purpose and the call uh, that God has called him to do, had nothing to do with his will. Now, it had nothing to do with his self-confidence, but it had everything to do with what God has said to him and kept that words that helped him keep fighting on. The invitation of Lent today is not about our self-will, it's not about our self-improvement, uh, but it's actually feasting on God to form into the image and being shaped about who he is. Because today in our world, and as we see in our world governments and, and, the, and, and the leaders that are corrupt, they are feasting on a different kind of power, and they're feasting on, on the ways of this world, and it's not really helping. It's not satisfying. It's not working. The invitation of Lent, and I believe the challenge of Lent for all of us here, is learning to feast on God, to not only just to be anchored in our identity and even uh, healed of the areas of the, of the places where we're most vulnerable, to be sh but to be shaped into representing him to actually give life to others. It is the invitation to be conformed to the image of Christ, to, to represent and to reflect for who he is, because there are so many people in this world that are looking to, and looking and needing life and needing love and um, needing to actually know who God is. You see, Jesus surrendered the ways of this power. The there was two other temptations, and there was a temptation of power that Jesus surrendered to because everyone him wanted him to be the militant king, to wield his power over people. But the calling of Jesus' life was to love people, and that's why he was there walking with people, being present in the, in the mess of, of people. And at, at the end of the day, what we see is Jesus, in, uh, as we observe in Good Friday and Easter, that he surrendered his power to be meek and go to the cross to show the love of God, that that's how things are overcome, not by power, but through love. And so that's the invitation of love that I want to invite you guys to. And that's the that I, I would hope that you guys come and join and explore with, with me and within this church starting Wednesday. So what is the second point? The second point is this. It's about feasting. It's being shaped by God's presence and learning to do that. So to recap real quick, right? Um, these are just some practical applications of Lent. 
So the first thing, if you want to join us, you don't have to, right? I'm not forcing you to. If you want to, whether you're seeking or believing, whether it's your first time or not, um, I would encourage you to think of something to fast. Give up something that distracts you. Think of something that, um, that, you're really, that really holds on to you and give that up. You know, it could be food, it could be Netflix, it could be social media. Please don't, please don't fast work, you can't do that. You know, we don't want to get in trouble. He's like, oh, my church told me to fast work. No, please don't do that. That's not what I'm talking about. Feed something that you don't want to give up, okay? And then alternatively, um, as you're doing that feast, meaning add something that will help you connect with God, whether it's a prayer, whether it's a devotional, whether for some of you, maybe coming to small group, who knows, maybe, and then engaging that way. Something that will help you bring more of God into your life the next 40 days. And then finally, schedule, please, these two important dates. Good Friday, which is on April 10th, which we'll be meeting in, in NYU, where we'll be going through the things called the Stations of the Cross, where we're going to be exploring in, a more ex in an existential way of what Jesus had to endure and go through um, in his final days. And finally, on Easter Sunday, we're going to be at the park to celebrate, uh, where we're going to have some great food and amazing time to celebrate uh, that there's victory over death and that there's life. So please stand with me. So I always wondered why Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness before the Passion Week, which is the crucifixion. Many people think that the culmination of Jesus' ministry is the death on the cross. Like just three and a half years later, his greatest achievement was to die on the cross. What a lot of people don't realize is that Jesus actually died way before that action. The whole point of Lent is to see what's implicitly, imp implicitly holding you down, what's controlling you, the idols in our lives. Now, the whole point of the civil rights movement is that a lot of people think of civil rights and they go, they think just rights. A lot of people don't understand the history of the civil rights movement. You know what civil rights is? Martin Luther King Jr. was fighting for African Americans to have equal rights because they were given the right to vote after the Civil War by Abraham Lincoln and submit a proclamation. Jim Crow was created in the South so that the people who had the right wouldn't use it. In China, there's Free speech is written in the Constitution, but when you use it, there, there's consequences. This tells you, if a lot of you are thinking, well, if someone wins the election, my life is over and I should move from the country. A lot of things are not in our control. And if you place your trust on probability, things you might not even know, if my life has to be this way or this has to happen to my life, then you already lost. Who really controls your life? Because those things are controlling you. And that's why Jesus went to the wilderness to be tested beforehand. Why Jesus could die and surrender his life on the cross was because he surrendered it already. The question as you do Lent this Wednesday is not, what should I fast? Because I told the Lord already, I will not fast Korean dramas. 
I said, Lord, not that. I would do anything for love, but I can't do that. Meatloaf. Now, but, you know, um, the question is, what is in control of me? What has power over me? Is it my hope? Is it my wish of a certain probability? You can only have freedom like Jesus when you surrender all, take your life out of your hands and put it into his. And then what you saw in Jesus' life was the greatest, most monumental change in um, in human civilization because he served the purposes of God for his life. Will you serve the purposes of God in your life? That's what Lent begins. Our dependency on ourselves and our dependence on him. And for the next couple of weeks, that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about this chapter, actually. We're going to talk about our hope in materialism. When Satan tempts Jesus about the bread, our, our temptation to perform, to prove our identity, as Jesus was tested in the mountain to jump from there, and our temptation of power and expediency. So this is my prayer today. Will you pray with me? Father, we come before you as we begin this journey. As Jesus began his ministry. Before he would change human history. Change everything we know about love. Change everything we know about justice. Change everything we know about hope. And every human inclination to save oneself, self-dependence, trust in governments, trust even in people, was laid before in that desert floor in 40 days. And he put his life completely into your hands. So today, will you lift your hands with me? as a sign of gesture and say, God, show me the things I need to surrender in the next 40 days. Maybe it is Korean dramas. Maybe it's coffee. You're a workaholic because you want to prove yourself. But please, please, you don't, don't give up coffee again, okay? Or puka situation will happen a lot of times. What, what is it? What, what is it that the Spirit needs to show you? You see, fasting is not about being legalistic. I'm going to give up something. It's to be led by the Spirit like Jesus was. So ask the Spirit, Spirit, what should I, what's taking a hold of me that I don't see? What's implicit? Because guys, if you fast and you just lose weight, that's, I mean, that's great. But if you fast and your life changes and you get closer to the Lord, I mean, that's really what's about, right? For God to change you through this process. So Lord, show us what we need to give to you, things that we've taken into our own hands that's, that's harming us, that's harming others. 
And how could we place our life into your hands to join your vision of hope, justice, and love? Will you bow your for the benediction? May the love of God, may the vision of God's justice, hope, and love guide you through this Lent process and the Lent journey. And at the end of it, I pray that he would change areas of our life that we never even could have imagined. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. All God's people pray. Amen. God bless you. Go in peace. Enjoy Lent. Hey everyone, we just have some community news for you as we end our podcast today. We want to invite you to join us for our Sunday service. We meet at the AMC Lowe's Theater at 19th and Broadway in Manhattan at 12 noon, and we'd love to see you guys there. We also have a prayer text hotline where you can send your prayer requests. It's available at 5397-PRAYER and at prayer at 180church.tv. In the midst of life, if you need prayer, our team is available to lift you up in your struggles, and we're always there for you. You can check out our Bible reading group online at 180brg.tumblr.com and on Instagram as well at 180brg. And it's a great resource for being grounded in God's Word and really plugging God's Word into our daily lives. You can also find us online through our Instagram page at 180church and our church website at 180church.tv. And lastly, if you'd like to make an offering, you can do so electronically at our website at 180church.tv.